you have to keep learning. If you're not being really deliberate about your learning, about creating content, you're doing yourself a disservice. I create content because it helps reinforce the things I learn. It helps me share with other people so that they know that I'm a resource that they can trust. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast, where we explore the world of entrepreneurship. Join us as we dive into the nitty gritty of what it takes to start, grow, and scale a successful business. We're on a mission to share our experiences, failures, insights, and advice with others. Whether you're just starting out in your entrepreneurial journey, or you're looking to take your business to the next level, tune in and join the conversation about what it takes to succeed in the world of business. Welcome to the Grant Owen Podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, as always, uh, I, I love it when people like, share, and subscribe. Uh, that's always, you know, that, that's super helpful for me. Uh, all the ratings, super helpful. But what's most important to me is that you share this with one person. Um, this conversation is going to be really insightful and really interesting for a lot of people. And uh, when you listen to this, especially in the business world, especially if you're in the data analytics world, or if you're in that place where you are an entrepreneur, uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit, but you've been working in corporate life for a long time. I, I'm thinking this conversation is going to be super beneficial for you. So um, if you know someone else that's in that place and you think, I'm listening to this and this might help them, all I ask is that you please share it with them. That's all I ask. Uh, you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to like, share, subscribe. Share it with that one person because we want that person to get value. So uh, Andy, thank you so much for being with me. I, I really appreciate your time today and for, for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Grant. Yeah, awesome. So I, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to dive into some things. I want to I give a little bit of an insight from my community on your background. I'd rather have it be your words than my words. Um, you are a Tableau expert, and you proclaim yourself to be the Tableau expert. So tell me, tell me how you've come across to give yourself that title and why, why you deserve it, because I have no doubts that it's accurate. <laughs> First off, I don't think I'm an expert. I don't think there's any such thing as an expert. Because uh, to okay. me, an expert means you know everything, and I certainly don't know everything. I just know okay. a lot more than everybody else. <laughs> uh, so, so kind of semantics there. But there's a lot I don't know, but yeah. I also know that there's a lot I don't know. So you know, some people call that. themselves experts, and I always call them out on LinkedIn and stuff, which is really fun. Uh, <laughs> I just love I, that. I, I know they're not, but I've, I've been using Tableau since 2007, so I'm, I'm one of their all-time longest users, and I was the first ever Tableau blogger. Uh, started the first user group, spoke at the first conference. Um, uh, what else? I don't know. So, several other things. I started the first kind of exclusive Tableau training program when I moved to London in, in 2015. Now I'm a member of the Data IQ 100, which basically means I'm the top one of the top 100 people in data around the world which was like a super, super cool honor that I was never expecting, especially yeah. because I'm really niche in Tableau. But a lot of the stuff that I share and maybe the reason people follow me is that I share a lot of stuff that's outside of Tableau because it applies also to just data visualization and data analysis in general. So I've yeah. got a long career in Tableau, in data analysis, lots of really fun stories from how I got in, how I got into this, what my big wins were that helped me sort of solidify that, uh, that, that position, I guess. Yeah, I love that. Well, and you also, you, I mean, I, I want to sell yourself short. You've established one of the most prominent data visualization YouTube channels uh, in terms of like training on this topic. And, and like, I think you have something over like 50,000 subscribers brought from you training on Tableau and you training on a lot of these data visualization, visualization metrics, right? Is that, is that majority that, of what your video is That's correct, yeah. And actually, my, my colleague, uh, his name on, on YouTube is Tableau Tim, and he passed me. He got the oh, 50,000 no. <laughs> before I did. Uh, but we do different styles of videos as well, so it's, yeah. it's good. It's, we both help cover us and then uh, another lady named uh, Sequel Bell on, on YouTube. Kind of the three of us have the, the Tableau YouTube <laughs> market kind of corner. I love that. I love it. I started creating YouTube videos, gosh, years ago now. I don't even remember when I created the first one. I used to write out all of the tutorials and things that I did. So it took forever to write screenshots, you know, take screenshots, yeah. write everything. And I was like, heck with this. I'm just going to try recording one and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if, until recently, they were all unedited. So yeah. if I made mistakes, you know, those just happened I, because I didn't know how to do editing. I didn't want to spend the time doing it. But yeah. I took a YouTube class in uh, last summer 
by Ali Abdal, who's yep. a famous YouTuber. Love, and, love Ali. And it, it was fantastic. And the best thing I the, – the number one thing I took out of that is to hire an editor. So, <laughs> yeah. so the quality of my videos has, has improved a lot. Yep. But that's also then helped me focus on creating content. So I've yeah. been creating just about every week for the last – you know, probably eight, 10 years, some kind of tutorial for somebody. There's over 900 tutorials on my, on my YouTube channel. That's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Ali, we, I think we, we trialed one of his editors and it's yeah. funny, just like you can tell, like there's a skill set gap. I think there was just one person that was like, they had just, they trialed with us and their accolade was that they had worked with Ali Abdal. And sometimes that mm -hmm. means they did one video with him. Sometimes that means that they trialed with him and they didn't actually work with him. Right. But <laughs> they charged like, I think they charged like, uh, like 1200 per video or something like that, which mm -hmm. was like some astronomical number. And, uh, and the quality of it was like worse than my worst editor. <laughs> so it, was, it was really fun. It was like, sometimes like I, I, the fact that sometimes you can work without, like, as long as you have the accolades to say, I've worked with somebody, uh, sometimes that's all you need. So on, on yeah. that's a tangential, but on the, on the topic of like, uh, first I want to hone in on this. I, I know some people that are starting YouTube channels and they're, they're really focused on, I need the quality to be amazing. I need the, I need the editing to be awesome. I need the, but something I've, I've also noticed is I, th I think about guys like whiteboard finance, which is a different niche, but he, he, uh, he, he's grown to almost a million ch like YouTube, uh, like YouTube subscribers and he has no editing and it's him with a pen and a whiteboard talking about his topic and each video gets like a million views, which is just incredible. Um, I think it sounds like you've just identified that like the content of what you're talking about and the content of like how you teach and how you coach about these things is so much more important than all the the additional spices that you add with the editing flavors. Exactly. Really, the most important thing for creating YouTube content is be, is to be consistent because that's what feeds the algorithm. Yeah. And that's what helps you get discovered by the algorithm. So, you know, if you happen to stumble across one of my videos and you even watch a second of it, you'll then get, you know, uh, promoted more of those. But if I only create one video every year, it's not going to get served up to anybody. Yeah. And what really blew me away about the class that I did with Ali is the whole idea. It was a five-week course. The whole idea was to create one video a week to get you into the habit which was yeah. not a problem at all for me. And you also had this team of people that could give you feedback on how you can improve the videos, lots of different things. Uh, the feedback was just incredible. And there were some people that just wouldn't produce a video. And it's like, why are you taking this course thing? You're so stupid. Like you've got, you've got these resources that you're paying for that you're then not utilizing. And at the end of the five weeks, they're gone. Right, yeah. you can't get that feedback from those people because they got to move on to the next to the next cohort. Yeah, and people just can't get it through their head that consistency is the most important thing. Get the content out. Don't worry. People really don't care if it's edited. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I feel better that my content is edited because I just like the way it looks better. But I've never had feedback from people that say, "Oh, these are much better now because yeah. they're edited." They're not. It's the same content. It's the same style. It just looks a bit nicer. But yeah. the whole idea is to get content out there. And if you're not, you're doing yourself a disservice and your audience. And, and I think especially in this in this like side of media, which is educational, right? Like the purpose of like the viewers that are coming to this, they're coming for education. They're coming for a class. And the fact that you're providing them a class without them having to pay for it and they're pro providing free resources that will help them with a specific way to do something super beneficial. And I think those audiences are actually the best and they're the most forgiving. Like if you're in the entertainment side of things, or if you're trying to just react, right, then the engagement aspect of things is so much more important and how it looks. And like, almost you have to, you have to play around with dopamine so much more. <laughs> and you have to think about like, you have to think about pacing and hooks and you have to think about like the storytelling narrative versus in an educational format, it's just like, let me, let me figure out the most concise way I can give this to you and then be as blunt as possible with this information. Um, and people appreciate it. People don't want the fluff. People don't want like all the, they don't want, like they don't need it. They just want, like, I just want to learn how to do this. This is, I'm Google searching how to do this. And if I find a video from Andy that says, this is how you can do this, 
then I'm going to be super happy and I'm probably going to subscribe. So uh, I love that you've, you've identified that. Um, tell me about like, I, so I, I, looked, I just looked it up. You, did it, you started eight years ago on YouTube. Um, and it, is that around the same time that you started coaching the, the, with, with uh, the coaching group that you joined? Yeah, I started a coaching group. Yeah. So I guess it must be around the same time then. Maybe that's when I ran out of time to actually write the blogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. In 2015, well, let me let me go back a bit. So in 2007, when I first started using Tableau, I worked at Coca-Cola yep. um, and had some really big wins there. That's when I started blogging. The blogging got me noticed by Facebook. Facebook hired me to come run their Tableau implementation, do the training worldwide. That then led to um, wanting to move abroad. The two things, you know, we we just wanted to move abroad. Good experience for the kids, and that's when the idea of the data school came about. I was looking for a job where I could teach all the time, and the company that I ended up working for was looking to start a training program. So the two Love things it. just happened to work out perfectly, and I knew them very well. Yeah. So that helps. I knew them since 2010, I believe. So I knew them for yeah. about five years, the kind of content they were producing, the types of people they were. So I felt very comfortable moving abroad. Um, it still, of course, has you know lots of anxiety with, with schools and, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. But that's what led me to starting the, the data school. And the way that the data schools came about was that customers of the information lab, the company I went to work for, were wanting resource like long-term resources. They wanted consultants to come in and work, you know, three months, six months, nine months for them. But the consulting team was very small. So if you if you put people out like that, your resources would be gone very quickly. Whereas yeah. the consulting team was designed to go in and do a day, two days, something like that, like hit lots of customers for small amounts of time. So the data school was designed to solve that problem of long-term resources. Yep. And my job when it started, it was very clear the division between my boss and I, the division of responsibilities, not the division between us. And <laughs> yes. the, it was very simple. He said, you're in charge of the training. I'm in charge of anything else. I, you know, if I ask you to do something training-wise, you just tell me to piss off. It's not your job. <laughs> and that made it very – that was very useful for me and some really good – something to establish at the very beginning that I owned it. If it messed up, it was my fault. Yeah. If it didn't improve, it was my fault. If everybody was great, I got credit for that. So it, it yeah. worked, worked really, really well that way. And the, what's really interesting is no two cohorts that have been through have ever had the same training because mm. it's constantly evolving. We get feedback from every group. The technology changes. We need yeah. to start teaching different things. Everything changes for every single cohort, which makes it really fun to teach. Mm -hmm. What what with so much knowledge that you have of Tableau, what made you hesitate to I mean, was there ever an opportunity to work directly with the tool, to work directly with the company? That makes to work for Tableau. Yeah. Actually, I did interview with them and I didn't get the job. Really? That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy back to me. in Let's see. I remember where I was for my interview. So I was living in, in, in outside of Atlanta in Ackworth, Georgia. And I, when I worked from home, I worked in our basement. And I remember, I remember exactly what the room looked like, where I was sitting, who I interviewed with. I thought I did great in the interview. I didn't get the job. But they told me it was because I was more valuable to them as a customer than I was as an employee. <laughs> That's kind of, that would piss me off. That well, for them, for them, it was probably the right decision to make because I was producing sure. all this content for free and helping so many customers and, and helping grow the brand, <laughs> and they were a pretty new company. But it was still really hard to take, yeah. you know, at least get an affili affiliate or something, like, right? Yeah, you at yeah, least I mean, be like, be like, give me I an affiliate, give me some kind really of sponsorship deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really. I guess it was disheartening at first until I found out the reasons why. Um, so yeah, but, but that's okay. You know, life, life has its, its ups and downs. And, um, if I got that job, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me a bit about your experience in, at Facebook. I'm very curious. I've known some people, some of my friends have worked at Facebook. There's been people that have had amazing experiences. People have had negative experiences. What, what was your, what was your time there like? I, so I went there initially to run the Tableau 
uh, implementation and I had sort of full reign, like kind of like I did at the data school to, to do it the way that I, that I saw fit, which was great. I had a lot of, um, a lot of freedom. I loved working there because everybody was so smart. Yeah. I always felt like the dumbest person in the room, you know, and there's, I don't yeah. know who said the expression of, you know, if you're the smartest person in a room, you're in the wrong room. I don't, yep. I don't know. Yep. I, I know I've heard it before. I don't even know if that's right, but it's something like it is that. Real. Yep. And so it was really fun to teach people that were really smart and could pick up on things really quickly. Yeah. I loved working there. I loved the environment. I loved the mission of the company. It was super interesting to hear Mark Zuckerberg speak at a Q&A every Friday in the lunchroom. Um, you know, just uh, just his vision and and he gets a really bad rep, I think, for mm-hmm. – or bad rap, sorry. A bad rap for some of the things that Facebook does. But I don't think that's really – it's not him. It's just kind of the nature of becoming this gigantic yeah. behemoth of yeah. a company, I think. Yeah, to so set, the, I, set the standard in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, hard to, it's hard to do that I, and not be criticized. Exactly. I, I started there in 2012. So um, I signed my contract pre-IPO, which was nice. And, nice. <laughs> and there were less than 1,000 employees, I believe, when I started. And there were about – and then I left three years later and there were about, I don't know, ten or 15,000 employees. So wow. the growth was crazy. But the yeah. culture of the company never changed. I ended up getting a, a guy that I worked with. He was in a different department he convinced me to kind of move over to their their team and and i had all the support of the the person i was working for already and they knew each other and everything and and my boss over there was absolutely fantastic but then he left the company and um and i was given to basically i ended up reporting to his boss yeah who um it didn't go well it yeah. was it really put a sour taste in my mouth. It was completely different than any other way I've been treated since I was there. Yeah. Um so, you know, and inevitably you're like, you know, do I belong here? Is this the right place for me? All those sorts of things. So I, I fortunately I was able to go back to my old boss and say, Hey, can I come back to your team? Um if I don't I'm I'm gonna leave. And he said, Yeah, I'll work it out. So I went back to his team. Didn't have any plans to actually leave, but situations you know i came over and spoke at the tableau conference in london in 2014 that's when we kind of decided hey let's have an experience abroad that's what led me to contacting the information lab and those things sort of all all fell together so overall i had an amazing experience at facebook other than one manager that made me feel like i really didn't belong there yeah i love that that's awesome and so let's let's dive into this because i think something that's really interesting about that this role that this role that you've had is that it's also allowed you to establish your own personal brand which is unique most of the time when you're dealing with something in the training element or when you're dealing with like a specific like even if it's a even if your job is to train people most of that kind of is seen as like proprietary and we're like we want to keep this in house we want to have it be our own kind of like intellectual property within the company but over the last 8 years what you've been able to do is as you've built their program and their brand and their product, right? You've also established yourself even more so with your own content. You've grown your LinkedIn, you've grown your blog, you've grown your YouTube. So talk to me about that. Why? Because it's in my mind, that's why my perception of you has been like you, you, you've been an entrepreneur for a decade, right? So it's like, that's my perception. But right. why, like from your perspective, what has it felt like? Because You've established yourself as your own unique brand in conjunction with another company. Right. So like I mentioned earlier, I started the brand building kind of early on, but I didn't know like what a personal brand was at the time. I was just writing down what I learned and it just happened to be that people read it and um, I didn't know it was early in the, you know, the evolution of Tableau and that sort of thing. but when I moved to the information lab, one of the reasons they hired me was because of my network and because of my brand. Love that. I wouldn't have gotten that job if I didn't have the expertise that I had built um, and and the following that I had. So when people – that's what attracts people to apply to the data school. I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but um, – I get a lot of feedback when we interview people that, hey, you know, without your YouTube channel, I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, um, interviewing awesome. today. So 
the the company leveraged my name because it had the credibility behind it. So it's like, okay, Andy has been around for a long time, clearly knows what he's doing, puts out all this content. He's the one that's going to be he's the one that's going to be creating all these great data analysts. And so the company was really smart leveraging that and they allowed me to keep building that along the way. So anything I do for my personal brand is perfectly okay to do on company time because ultimately it benefits the company because the two are related to each other and people know that. Yeah. And I would argue that it's probably easier to sell you versus selling the company. Like uh, you probably get more traction on your content than if the company were just to put out a post, even if it's an identical post, it'd be more relevant coming from you and your voice because you have so much other, like there's so much more context into who you are as a person that makes whatever your opinion is more valid, right? Yeah, totally, totally. The The company definitely leverages my name in that, and, and we get opportunities directly from you know mess, people that message me directly on LinkedIn that turn into customers of ours. Yeah. So if I wasn't doing that, those people probably wouldn't be following me, which means they wouldn't know about the data school, which means they wouldn't yeah. be hiring somebody, right? So it's this this sort of string of events. But that all comes back to the company allowing me the freedom yeah. to build that brand. Yeah. That's so and that's such a rare thing. So I here when I think when I think about your your career path and what you've established and, and where you're heading, I, I hear a lot of people that are probably going to feel like they can relate to you in the sense that they have become an expert. Uh, and I'm not actually, I'm going to refrain the word for expert. They become a hall of famer, Very good. Yeah. <laughs> a hall of famer in whatever uh, category that is, whether it's data, whether it's in it, whether it's whether mm-hmm. like there's so many different caveats where they've established themselves within their own corporate environments and within their own career as I am really good at this. Um, and what they don't have vision for is how to not just do that for a company. Um, a lot of times they've just they've been growing whatever that is, and then every five seven years they bounce from one company to the next company, doing that same thing, implementing it the same way, establishing the same teams, and then they kind of get bored, and then they move on to the next company and do the same thing. Um, what would you say to people that have established themselves as experts? Where should they be thinking long term? Say they're not putting out content, right? So, like, I'm sure you can give us that. Just say, like, hey, just start. But like, they're not putting out content, right? And they don't have an idea of how they can build an asset with their own knowledge that will allow them to grow something long term. Right. So, so there are a lot of people that do that bouncing from job to job, doing the same thing here and there. But you're not learning anything if you're doing that. You're just you're just repeating the same cycle. And it's like, of course, you're going to get bored. You're not learning anything new. So that's the first thing is you have to keep learning. If you're not, if you're not being really deliberate about your learning, about creating content, you're doing yourself a disservice. I create content because it helps reinforce the things I learn. It helps me share with other people so that they know that I'm a resource that they can trust. And as far as what they should be looking for, I think they need to really evaluate what it is that they really want out of their career. Surely they don't want to be – if they're bouncing from job to job, they're probably just doing it because they're getting a raise, mm-hmm. um, each, you know, each company. They're, I'm sure they're building up a reputation along the way for, you know, hey, helps get this up and running. Oh, it did it here as well, you know, and, and yeah. they're getting, you know, nice little logos on their, on their CV. But – I would be pretty skeptical of hiring somebody like that because I'm not seeing really a progression in their work. I'm seeing a progression in their salary, but not a progression in their work. Mm. So Mm. if you're not continuing to learn, you're doing yourself a disservice and ultimately you're probably not going to be very happy with what you do. If you are happy with what you do, you're not going to have to worry about the money. The money is going to come because you're going to perform better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And well, so, so then on the flip side of things, Talk to me about talk to, me to someone that's that's probably starting out in their career, um, and for them it's like I don't like someone coming out of college and they might have specialized in something or they've decided at least I'm going to start my career in this this one way whether it's business whether it's whether it's you know uh, as a developer whatever that is. Um, why why should someone? I, I I think I know your argument, but do you think someone should seek to become an expert at something? For a company, 
I think initially when you're starting your career, the answer is no. Okay. Because you need to try lots of different things. You don't want to pigeon your hole too quickly. It took me a very long time to figure out what I wanted to do. And I'm glad that I tried all of those other things along the way because I wouldn't have figured out what I wanted to do. Yes. So I would recommend against that. What, when is it an appropriate time? Do you think that the, the like other people affirming you saying like, I'm, I'm guessing Andy, that you had people saying like, Andy, you're really good at Tableau. Like <laughs> during that beginning stages, like was that the affirmation you needed to be like, yeah, I can actually probably do something with this. It, exactly. That's exactly what happened. I didn't, I was just doing it cause I enjoyed it. Um, I was having, you know, I was having lots of fun. I enjoyed creating content. I was learning all the time. And I didn't know that I was getting better. I didn't know that I was becoming one of the best at this stuff, right? I was just mm -hmm. I was just doing and I was just learning. And then yeah. people were like, you know what, you're really, really good at this. You should you should maybe focus on this. So it was the encouragement yeah. of other people that did that. What's what's the difference between someone who's really good at something and someone who's good at potentially teaching it? You've done both. Ooh, very different things. Teaching is significantly harder than knowing it. Um, you actually, you know, I don't know, there's another person that says, you know, you learn more by teaching than you do by, by doing. And yeah. I, I know that works for me. Every time I teach, I learn something new. The great thing about teaching is you have to know four, five, six, seven, ten different ways, whatever, to explain the same topic. And that's really going to build up your your reserves and it's going to make it much easier to communicate across a broad audience. So if I needed, for example, to go teach a public class, um, you know, we do cohorts of eight at the data school. But if I needed to go teach a public class, I would have enough information in my toolkit to be able to explain the topics to every person in that room. I mean, I am confident of that. But yeah. if I didn't teach all the time, I wouldn't learn those skills. Yeah. It's really about communication. You need to understand your audience. You need to know how to communicate with them. And you need to have that set of conversations or, or ways of explaining things that you don't get when you're, when you're just uh, trying to understand something. Did you teach before or after you managed a team doing this? So like what, what was your context first? Were you, were you teaching just creating content? teaching in terms of like I was writing a, a blog about it or did you jump into teaching and everything kind of happened at the same time? I was teaching through the blog without knowing it. Mm. Um, so that, that was a good accident. Yeah. My first job as like an actual trainer was when I went to Facebook and that's when I had to start building out formal curriculums and like all this stuff is in my head. I really don't need a curriculum, but yeah. Other people need it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and that's when you know I really realized my passion for for doing the teaching and, and the mm. training. Um, so that then led to the data school and doing training there, running, writing the curriculums. Uh, but I don't think I answered your question. No, yes, yeah, so you did. <laughs> so, in the sense that, like, you're saying that you basically you were accidentally starting to teach. Just by yes, creating the yes. content and then at Facebook is when you really – because you were managing a team and creating curriculums, that's where the coaching aspect of this really started yeah. to form. I wasn't actually managing a team so and I still don't okay. manage – I don't manage a team now even though awesome. um, I, I lead a team but I don't manage <laughs> – Explain that. Explain. Yeah, I don't manage okay, a team. Okay. I, I lead a team. Um, I don't want to be a people manager. I, I've done it and I don't like it. It's okay. not for me. Um, I love mentoring people and guiding people but I don't like – managing people. I think it's a, it's a skill I just, I don't like, and I don't want to develop. I won't dedicate time to it. Tell but me about leading wait, people wait. and mentoring them is, is yeah. a very different thing. Like I love doing one-on-ones with people, but I yeah. never do them. I refuse to do them in, in, in the office. Um, mm -hmm. I refuse to do one-on-ones in the office. I always go for a walk because it becomes much more of a conversation. I learned that at Facebook. That's how they do their one-on-ones. They encourage you to have walking one-on-ones. Of course, the weather's always nice there, so that helps. Yeah. <laughs> but in London, the weather's not always nice, but that's okay. Um, I learned a lot about like kind of the city of London, the, the kind of center yeah. of London, about a lot of the history and things. So I would take people on a walking tour and I would tell them some, some things, they probably, some really obscure things they I'm sure they didn't know. But then we would have a conversation about work and how are they doing and how can I help them and where do they want to go and all the advice and those sorts of things. So I think of that more as, as mentoring 
than yeah. it is. Uh, so that's coaching, me, I guess. That's let me let me ask my job. Yeah. Let me ask a clarifying question for me. When you say you don't like managing people, it sounds like you you've had people under you, like yes. there's people that are your direct reports. But in terms of how you communicate with them and the way you lead them, you don't like the idea of I'm managing you. I'm your manager. You'd rather think I'm your I'm your mentor helping you in your own journey. The company at the Information Lab, while I am the head coach or the global head coach, and there are head coaches at the regions and then there's coaches as well, there's kind of a, I guess, an implicit hierarchy, yeah. but not an explicit hierarchy. Nobody manages anybody in our company except for the, except for the director. He's the gotcha. only person that has reports. Gotcha. So I guide the team and I lead the team, um, but I don't manage them. And we I don't have that. performance reviews. We don't have performance reviews. Of our company. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, so then I, yeah, I, I want to, cause I'm very curious about that too. Do you see that as a positive thing or a negative thing? I think it's a positive thing because, well, first off companies waste so much time and money doing performance reviews. They do. And yep. if you need a performance review, then your boss is doing a terrible job. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I've been in performance reviews before and I get surprises in there. It's yeah. like you should never be surprised in a performance review. If you yeah. are, then you've got a terrible manager. Anytime I encourage the coaches that work on, on, our, on my team that as soon as you get feedback about somebody, give it to them then. Worst case, give it to them the next morning because then you can give them the very specific situation that was going on that they need to improve upon or that they did really well. So it's not, you know, a lot of times feedback is only negative, but I encourage them to give all the positive feedback as well because you want to build up confidence, right? A lot of these people are new at data analysis and we need, we need to build up their confidence that way. Yeah. But we also have very high expectations. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't really – I was trying to think if I had any more, any more to say. <laughs> no, I, I kind of love that. I, I think it's hard. I think performance reviews are hard to not do at scale. I think if you have a small, intimate team and you have you, – you hired correctly, it's like – I disagree. I, I, you disagree? I disagree? Tell me about it. Tell, why, do you, why do you disagree? Because I think like there's – Because there's I, trust. In, it's yeah. trust. Why do you why do you let somebody manage people if you don't trust them to evaluate them? Hmm. And why do their manager why do they need to be why does their manager not get trusted to manage the managers? It's all trust. Don't you think trust is earned? It is, but why why would somebody get put in that position if they haven't gained that trust? If they're a manager and they don't have the trust of people that put them in that position, then they shouldn't yeah. be in that position in the first place. Yeah. So you hire people to do work that you don't want to do or that they can do better, right? Or, you know, to get things off your plate, whatever it might be. That's usually the reason that somebody is brought on. But you have to give that person, you have to trust that person to do their job. And, you know, you get feedback along the way about how, you like, if you were working, if you were a manager under me, I would get feedback from whoever works for you on how you're doing. I would give you that feedback or your peers, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, and that's how we build up trust. But I have to, I have to trust you that you can give an honest um, appraisal of how your people are doing and honestly think about, well, what is the value of this person to our company? Yeah. I, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in the semantics of it because in my <laughs> mind, I, I think like the, I, I, I've benefited from performance reviews and I see the purpose of them. I also would love to be in an environment. I've, I've worked in a bunch of different corporate environments, um, usually for bigger companies. And so therefore all of them have some kind of performance review thing. And you, I've, I've, it's all, it's, it's, I've enjoyed the process. Uh, I also see the purpose of it because there's some people that need motivation. There's some people where their approach to work is let me do as little as possible to get paid as much as possible, right? Um, which, uh, but isn't I that your fault as a manager? If they yeah. get to that point, then that's your fault. That's not their or, fault. Or yeah, or you've hired incorrectly. But or, that's yeah. sometimes then, that's then sometimes then that's what's happened. Yeah. That's sometimes what's happened is usually usually people at a large company. You think I need to get all these employees to do all these different functions when you should be leaner for a longer period of time. Um, yeah. And when you're leaner for a longer period of time, you can spend more money on the right people. But sometimes when companies get bloated, right, they, they think about how can we expand and expansion becomes the priority. 
and you end up bringing on a lot of people that don't actually fit the culture that you're looking to grow. So yeah. that's, that's why when I say like, I see the benefit of performance reviews at larger scales, I'm like, okay, yeah, because I, I've been in environments where the majority of people that I work with are not as motivated as me. They're not as driven right. as me. Um, so that's because of that. I'm like, yep, I, I don't need a manager to tell me work hard because I, I'm going to get there. I'm going to work hard because that's what I, <laughs> that's what I want to do. So I, yeah, to that extent, like I see the benefit of it, but to you, what you're talking about, I think I agree hundred percent where it's like, if you need to be told where you need to grow in those contexts, you're doing something wrong. I want to, I want to transition. I like that. I like this topic, but I want to transition. I could argue with you about this forever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we could. Yeah. I'm actually, I'd be down. I'd be down to do a whole podcast. Not argue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I want to transition though, because I want to, I want to know, uh, here's one, here's what my podcast specifically targets, right? It's to help entrepreneurs, people that have been wanting to do something for themselves, whether they desire the monetary benefit or the time freedom or the locational flexibility. You've explored a bunch of these different things. Um, so I, I actually, I want to start by asking you questions of, first off, where's your favorite place that you've lived? You've lived in a few different places. You've been in California, Atlanta, now London. Where's your favorite place you've lived? Wow. Well, I grew up in Philadelphia. Went what? to Wait, went to, where? Went, where in Philly? Uh, Plymouth meeting. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I grew up in uh, Westchester. So that's oh, about okay. 20 minutes yeah. away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got that's a really awesome. funny story. If, if you don't mind a little, a little sidetrack here, I went to visit the data school in Australia back in, uh, this is a kind of a small world sort of story. Yeah. And one of the women that went through the data school there, I was having a chat with her and she lived in America and, but she wasn't allowed to work because she was there on, she was, uh, she was of Indian descent. So her husband had a visa. So she was just, you know, uh, on a spousal visa. And we got to talking about where she lived and and stuff. And she's like, oh, I lived outside Philadelphia. I'm like, oh, where'd you live? She says, um, have you heard of Plymouth Meeting? I'm like, yeah. She lived two blocks from my house and her kids went to the same school as mine. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm halfway around the world. I mean, it was it was like totally blew my mind. Anyway. That's awesome. Um, so, so my favorite place to live, um, that's a tough one. I didn't really care for the Atlanta area that much because it was too much like keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. Um, and I didn't like that. It wasn't as bad in California. Um, really? No. That's surprising. No, I, I didn't think so. The the uh, the weather in California is just incredible. I really, really yeah. miss the weather. Yeah, I'm um, sure in the UK, I'm sure you're feeling yeah, better now. Yeah, I, I like to tell people <laughs> I moved here for the weather. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I loved living in London. I don't live in London anymore. I lived there for eight years and loved how multicultural it is, but I got tired of the Mm -hmm. business Mm -hmm. and probably where I live now is my favorite place because, you know, it's relaxing. It's only three hours on train to London. You know, Newcastle isn't far away if you need to go to a city. Um, the people are super friendly. Everybody's relaxed. Um, I get to work from home. I look yeah. at like I look out my window now. I'm looking at a farm, so oh, it's awesome. just super super relaxing. It's it's made a really big difference to my mental health as well. I do yeah. miss being able to walk to a coffee shop yep. when you feel like it and yeah. get out of the house. But we lived under the Heathrow flight path, which wasn't great. Okay. So uh, so moving out here, it was actually at first it was really hard because it was so quiet and so yeah. dark. Yeah, um, and you get woken up by the by the roosters across the farm. Uh, which was like you're certainly not going to hear that how's, you might how's hear the, the wi-fi how's, scream, yeah but... how's the wi-fi out there that sounds that's, yeah. that's pretty remote uh, well i mean wi-fi is wi-fi it's more yeah. how the internet yeah uh, <laughs> we actually do struggle a bit with the wi-fi in our house though because it's it's from the 1860s it's an old cottage <laughs> and the walls are so thick that you have yeah. to almost have a wi-fi router in every room yep because it just yeah. doesn't go, it doesn't go around the house. So, That's awesome. and of course, when my kids come visit, they all complain about that. Yep, yep, of course, of course. <laughs> well, so yeah, and I have to ask, what what, what soccer team do you support? What football team? Uh, Arsenal. Being Arsenal. Uh, it's, yeah, it's been. You're coming back, right? Isn't Arsenal like getting okay? They're 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 on the. Uh, they're a point behind the Man City. Yeah, that's not, that yeah. Like, that's that's pretty solid. It's a good time to be an Arsenal yeah. fan. But I, I'm only an Arsenal fan because my my oldest son, when he started playing soccer. All of the teams in the you know the youth soccer league, he was I think four at the time, were all named after Premier League teams, and his yep. team was Arsenal. Yep, 
Yes, you just got used to it. I love it. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) So, okay. So, uh, talk to me. So, like, you, you first were like, I don't, I want to relocate and I want to go to Europe. What was that transition like with you and your family? What was that like communication like? Because that type of desire for such an extreme relocation, I guess because the company was there, it felt a little bit different. But at the same time, like that's that's such a drastic change uh, yeah. from environments. What led to that being the change? And why were you like, yeah, I'd want to go find a company out there to do to live in that kind of location? Right. Well, back in 2004, I worked for a consulting company and I went to Vietnam three times. And really wanted to move there, mm-hmm. which is even you know crazier even, to think yeah, about. Yeah, I had yeah. learned to speak Vietnamese. The people were very oh, wow. nice. Um, unfortunately, the director that was in the process of of uh, moving me there had a had a sudden heart attack and passed away. Oh no! So then the whole thing okay. kind of fell apart. Yeah. So that's kind of what started the desire between me and and my my now ex to to move abroad. Uh, she yeah. came with me to the Tableau conference in 2014. Um, and well, if I go back a bit, she was very hesitant to leave Atlanta and move to California because that's where all her friends were. That's where her family was. Yep. Um, so, you know, it's always hard moving somewhere new. And she came with me to the Tableau conference in 2014 in London, and she has a history degree. It was perfect weather. And on the way home, we were like, maybe this is a place we should move. And that's when I... Uh, got in touch with the folks from the information lab it, and uh, it would have been very, very – it would have been much more difficult if I didn't already have a base of people that I knew. Yeah. Starting from scratch would be incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have done it if I didn't have that base of people. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know if I would have done it or not, but I, I, that was a big factor in, in it is, is being able, to, for me at least, to settle really quickly. It yeah. was much more difficult for uh, for my ex because um, English people tend to not want to get close to people that are expats because they might leave. Hmm. Um, and fortunately, there's a really large expat community once you find it. Um, hmm. So once she found that, she was fine. We didn't tell the kids until uh, shortly before we moved. We told them we had to get them passports because we were um, we were going away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we uh, so at the end of the school year in twenty uh, so that would have been twenty uh, two thousand and when did they move two thousand and fourteen no two thousand fifteen. So kind of before the end of the school year, we told them what was going on, and they were, of course, very upset about it. But they, you know, kids kids are very resilient. Um, in the long run, it's going to be an experience that they will benefit from in their lives. They don't probably know it yet. Yeah. Um, they all have permanent residence here, so if they ever want to live here, they can. Um, my youngest son and I have – we're now citizens. Um, you know, my, my – uh, I have twins. The my twin son goes. Not yeah, my son that's a twin. He goes to university in the Netherlands. His sister go, went back to the U.S. and goes to school in Tennessee. Their their awesome. older brother lives in Atlanta. So everybody's kind of spread out everywhere, and they're okay yeah. with that. But I think that's because we've lived in places that um, yeah. you know uh, we've lived far away from people. They've had to make new friends. Mm. Yeah, but but just living so close to Europe is just an amazing experience. It's yeah. really cheap to travel. You're yeah. an hour flight from so many places. Yep. And um, so we, we tried to make the most of that experience as well. I love that. I love that. Make, make, me, make me think. Make me think a little bit. Do it. Uh, <laughs> I want to <laughs> ask, ask you because so uh, this is – and this is fundamentally, fundamentally where I think you have the most to offer um, for my community and just in terms of your experience and your background. I'm not asking you any technical questions because I, you've, I'm sure you've done podcasts and interviews – where people who want to hear that can go listen yeah. and, and find so many beneficial resources that you've already uh, done. I want to ask on a more broad level, for someone that's in your position, someone that's established as a coach, as a, as an, as a Hall of Famer <laughs> in the category, in a, in, a, in a field, what does entrepreneurship look like? What does, uh, what does going out on your own look like? What is, what is establishing your own company and helping people by yourself look like? 
Yeah, so if anybody listens, listening to this knows me, then this is a spoiler. But I am leaving uh, my company after eight and a half years um, at, at the Information Lab and, and going out on my own. Um, there were a few reasons for that. Um, I, I, I blame my boss because he has very generous paternity leave. <laughs> so um, I have a four-month-old, and I got three months of paid paternity leave. Awesome. And with my first four kids, I didn't get any. I lived in America, yeah. so I got I got zero. So yeah. I got to see a lot that I didn't never got to experience before. I also felt like I was at a point in my career, in my career where I I didn't really have much left to do at the company. If that makes sense, I kind yeah. of you know everything's running smooth now. Um, I'm not learning much anymore. I want a new challenge. Um, nothing against the company. The company's great. My boss is great. He was fantastic when I told him. Um, he's really supportive of, of me and, and, uh, and everything. So for me, the reasons for going out on my own are spend more time with my family, spend less time working, mm. and continue to learn and to do something new. What uh? What do you what do you envision that is? Do you think that's is it going to be specific to this field still? Or are you gonna are you gonna probably do consulting on your, by yourself? Yeah, I won't do individual consulting because I don't really enjoy consulting. Okay, and it doesn't scale very well either because uh, you have a, a fixed number of, of hours that you can do. So I'm I'm going to be coming up with a couple of different rev a uh, couple of different streams um, that that I'll just kind of see which ones work. Uh, one is going to be continuing to do the kind of training that I do now, but do it for companies. But I can scale that a lot more. I can train a lot more people at one time. There's still lots and lots of need for for this type of training. So people buy a lot of licenses, but they don't. Nobody knows how to use it. So yeah. there's a, there's a big market there. Um, but again, that only scales to a certain level because I only have I only want to work three days a week. Mm. So uh, I. Whether I'm going to actually be able to do that or not at the beginning, is, <laughs> I think the answer is no. But I'm going to do my best. And it. the um, so that's one thing. The other one is I might do one-on-one -on -one training. You know, it'll be probably really expensive, but if if people want that, then I could offer that. Um, I'm going to create video courses. I'm going to also offer. I guess it's kind of like consulting services, but where I can come in and do. Um, like an audit. Evaluations. Yeah. Say again? Like an audit. Yeah, kind of like an audit. Yeah, I'm gonna, I can go in and, and evaluate their talent and let them know what levels people are at and maybe develop um, um, training plans for people, indivi you know, individual training plans, but on behalf of a company. Yeah. And also maybe come in and give them feedback on work they're doing. So not how to do what they're doing, but more feedback on, okay, this is the way that you could communicate this information better to your stakeholders. Uh, what's the question they're really trying to ask? So kind of giving an outsider's perspective on what might communicate well. So there's a couple yeah. different things I'm going to, I'm going to offer up there. We'll see how it goes. How, how templative is it? Because I'm sure there's things where you're like, I mean, there's so many ways to visualize specific things depending on what people were trying to, trying to understand. But from your perspective, you, do you have your like, this is my favorite way to do this. This is my, I, I think this is like the best way to, to create, like, if you want to create this type of reporting, this is my preferred way to, to connect these. Well, I'm going to give sense. you the classic consultant answer, and it's, it depends. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the question that the stakeholder wants answered. And yeah. then you have to start with that. So start with why, <laughs> like yeah. Simon Sinek, and then figure out, well, which, what data do you have, right? So they might have a question, but you might not have the data to answer that. And then based on the data that you have, what is possible? And then based yeah. on what is possible, what is, what is most useful? Based on what's useful, what communicates clearest? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Something, something that I, I hope people take away from this conversation uh, is, is the asset that continual learning is. Like you've continually learned and established, like you, you started with affirmation from your, from your project management role, right? And you took that and then you went to Coca-Cola and you established new things and probably got more affirmation, more affirmation, more affirmation in this particular, particular subject where you said, okay, I really enjoy learning about this. I'm just going to continue to learn about this on my own time or through the company means that's appropriate. And then you've 
you've taken on and realized that there's a gap of knowledge that other people don't have that comes naturally to you. Um, uh, some people call it like that, that like zone of genius. Um, but when it's specific to a topic, that's such an asset that you've monetized one way or another over your entire career. You monetize it in terms of being able to get yourself in rooms, being able to get yourself indoors, being able to get yourself interviews. Um, so much so that even you've said, Tableau said, I don't want to work. I want you to work with us because, <laughs> because you're more valuable as a customer. Yeah. Uh, which just speaks to the monetization. Uh, like you've made Tableau millions of dollars, I'm sure. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, as a result, like you've, you've benefited so many companies. What, what do you think, do you, do you think more people should take this route? Do you think more people should look beyond their nine to five and their function and seek to make productized or, uh, you know, seek to coach on this, seek to consult on this, seek to teach others, or at least just for a free way, help others with the knowledge of whatever they're learning. Do you think that more people should be doing that? I, I think more people should definitely be giving away stuff for free. Yeah. Um, because it's it's going to help you more than it helps them for sure, you know. Yeah. It it helps with your communication. It helps you learn. There's there's so many benefits to teaching other people, but I also think that going out on your own is not for everybody. Um, mm. You know, really going into your niche is not for everybody. Some people just aren't driven, mm. and you know, I I'm not I don't want to encourage somebody to go out on their own if they don't have the ambition to do it. Yeah. So it's it's all you know. I'm a very very driven person. I have always have goals that I want to hit, um, whether it's, you know, work related or, or learning or, um, you know, some, some type of, uh, physical achievement, you know, like, uh, like an Ironman or whatever it might be. I'm a very goals driven person and, and a lot of people aren't like that. Yeah. And I think if you're going to go out on your own, you probably, you probably have to be like that. Um, I think everybody in the, in the coaching group that we're in is like that. I can't imagine anybody in that group isn't extremely driven. Yeah, yeah. So well, you you have to have you have to have that drive and that ambition. And some people don't care to to really learn one topic in particular. They just want to go and pick up a paycheck. Yeah. And the world needs people like that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, I want to ask kind of like a because because so far you've done everything almost like as an entrepreneur, right? You've established things within other companies. And yes, you've owned things, you've led things, uh, you've had freedom that most business owners would have when they say, here's my directive, this is what I want to do. Um, and that's just because you've found the right environments that appreciate your skill set and what you bring to the table. Um, what about that? Do you think a lot of people should, should seek that? Because I think everyone should either be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. <laughs> if someone, you know, like entrepreneurs are in the sense that like you're going to be passionate about what you want to do, but you want to do it for somebody else. It's, it, I've never heard that term entrepreneur before, but I guess when you're an entrepreneur, somebody else is making money off of you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Um, while you, while they while I am getting the freedom to build my own brand, I'm not the one that actually benefits from that. The company is. Yeah. So that's you know maybe that's why I should be an entrepreneur. You know I can't yeah. even imagine the you know the millions that I've made for Tableau and, and for our company. Yeah. Um. You know, like if if the data school didn't exist. That's a lot of money that the company wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd never heard that before. That's really interesting. Um, again, you know, it. I think some people don't care to be recognized like that. But if you do, if you do have that ambition and you do want to get noticed and you do want the, you know, to gain that trust of others to be able to pursue your passions, you have to demonstrate those skills. You have to share those skills whether it's internally or externally, mm. um, and, and start building up that expertise and that reputation. So, you know, if it, if it is internal, you don't, you don't care for people outside the company to know who you are, that's fine. But mm -hmm. build your brand inside the company. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is yeah. going to do it for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think there's, there's only two reasons to, to, to build a brand, right? It's either ego, which is wrong, or marketing. Um, and I think marketing can be for a positive reason, even if it's just to, to show evidence. And I think we're, we're reaching an, an age where, uh, despite, you know, economic volatility, having evidence of your expertise is extremely valuable. Um, so much so that like, 
Andy, like no matter where the world goes, there's someone that's going to need an Andy <laughs> because right. you've built up all this evidence, not on us on a resume, but through years, like you can send, here's my YouTube channel. Here's my LinkedIn. Here's my blog. Here's keynote speeches that I've done. Here's how much money I've made for these two different companies, these three different, these four different companies. There's evidence that you have um, showcased broadly of what you've accomplished. Um, and that's not ego. That's just saying, hey, I want to help people. And this is evidence that I've done my job, which yeah. is to help people. And I, I think I, I would argue that, you know, not, not everybody should do everything in public. If your goal is ego, if your goal is notoriety, if your goal is I just want to build myself. But if your goal is I want to help people and I want to, I want to show evidence, not just on my resume, that I'm really good at what I do. And that I can help other people be really good at what they want to do. Um, I think that's really powerful. And I think over yeah. time, like you're, I, I look at your profile and I look at, I, I see, you know, everything that you've done, I see long term, like it is, no one can take that away from you. Platforms can get shut down. YouTube can get shut down and you still have these other platforms that show it. You know, yep. LinkedIn can get shut down. You have these other, like Tableau could get shut down. And I'm sure that your knowledge of it, is going to be transform, uh, transferable <laughs> to, something yeah, to something else. else. Yep. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, 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 that's, I guess when I, when I, when I'm, I'm hoping that people listen to this takeaway is that, um, the sooner you start building that evidence, it could be as simple as recording that video and not editing it and not scripting it, but just recording that video and what you know, you know, and you talk about and you do something consistently, uh, eight years of, consistency can lead to this level of evidence that might allow you if you want to explore it to have time freedom meaning working three days a week and to have the ability to make money on your own terms for yourself where you're making money for yourself using your own assets that you've built versus making other people money for like uh something i heard once was was you'll never make more money than your boss you'll never have the same house that your boss has mm -hmm. uh and uh, I, I, I love that because some people are not going to be fired up about it. Some people are not going to have like negative and like, they're not going to have ambition kind of like what you're saying to, to drive themselves to entrepreneurship. I don't, and you're right. It's not for everybody, but I do think that we're approaching an age where evidence is a necessity for everybody. Um, and, and the people that build themselves as an asset with their knowledge and with their expertise, um, will ultimately have more success because they'll be seen by more people, be known by more, pe more people and have more opportunities just with that. Whether they want to do something entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial, they'll, they'll have more opportunities because they do, they do their learning and do their growth in public, um, which is all you've done. Fundamentally, if you're saying all I've done is learn in my teaching, all I've done is like I've taught other people and I learned more and more, I've adapted more and more, I've, got, I've received the feedback all of that is public, <laughs> which is so cool. And so anybody that wants to learn what you've done and wants to achieve similar things, they can look through your eight years of content and see the evolution of all that you've learned and all that you've grown in. Um, and that's super valuable. So first, I just want to say thank you for doing that. And thank you for giving so much free value away, because um, now that you're able to, to monetize it, um, I think the dividends of what that compounding uh, that compounding deposit does is going to pay back so much more. And it's going to give you the life that you're really looking to pursue. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of you. I think a lot of people don't do what you've done. And to be honest, I think what you've done is the way that a lot of people should do it, which is do things that are really impressive for a really long time for other people. And then when you don't need the money, but you can get it, when you don't need to, to, to build wealth, but you, you can, you then say, I'll, nope, I want flexibility. And you choose the lifestyle that you want, um, given all the stuff that you've built. Um, I think it's incredible. And I think that's so much better than thinking about retirement, so much better than thinking about all these other things. It's like, how can I just do what I love on my own terms and for the people I want to do it for? Um, yep. So really, really impressive. Andy, thanks for, thanks for spending time with me. If there's, can, can you please plug something. What can, where can people find you? If people want to work with you, if people want to talk to you, if people want to learn from you, uh, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, 
I can I can send you a couple of links that maybe you could put in the show notes. But 100, the, the best thing people can do is probably just go to andykriebel.com. Um, so you can just register for my newsletter there. That's going to end up becoming my website for my business. But if you sign up to the newsletter, you're going to be the first one to know what's going on. Um, I share exclusive content to my newsletter as well. I do career advice. You know, how can you know all, all different kinds of topics. Um, links to live streams that I do. Lots of I try to basically sort of curate all the content I'm putting for, out for people into a newsletter. Love it. And uh, so that's the best way. If you go to andycreble.com, just pop your email in there. Um, you get a free ebook when you sign up. And you can be the first to find out what's going to happen next. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Andy, thanks so much for spending time with me. Please go do that, everybody. Um, and, uh, and as always, send this to one person. If they can be benefited from this conversation, if they want to learn from Andy, if they want to learn from Andy's experience, send it to them because I think this is super valuable and I really appreciate Andy and I appreciate your time. So thanks, everybody. Have a great one. Kiss the